Hello, everybody out there. We're having a bit of a giggle here in the studio. You know, when we start talking about Jesus and the, and the mighty revelation that nobody really wants to plow into because it's so deep and unsettling for most people to try and understand it. Well, you know, we're really fortunate to have Dr. Shiva with us again today in the studio. Um, you know, we've been, I wouldn't say pulling the book apart, but almost because there are things hidden under the words written on those pages. And I think that's what John Shiver is going to be talking to us about again today. And I think, John, let's say hello first. How are you doing over there? I'm doing very well, Iris. It's wonderful to be back with you once again. Well, that's wonderful to have you because we need to hear what you've got to say. And I think I was telling you that I was at um, a meeting in Australia and ended up telling the pastors there the same thing. You need to be listening to this. And, and you know, everybody sort of looked at me, but they agreed because nobody really wants to go there, do they? And uh, dig into it. Well, it has been it has been hidden. You and I were were laughing together just a few moments ago before your audience joined us. But it, to let everybody in on what we were laughing about was simply that most Christians, most most Christians look at going to heaven as just fire insurance. They they don't want to go to hell. And so they just buy a fire insurance policy of salvation through the blood of Jesus. And they think that when we all get to heaven, we're just going to stand around grinning at each other saying, well, we really missed a bullet on that one. You know, we didn't have to go to hell. So, so now we're here. But they fail to understand that, that heaven is not going to be a, a static stationary place. And, and the reason that I personally feel so passionate about the study that we're doing right now of the last days and the pre-tribulation rapture of the church is I believe everything is now in place. The stage for the first time ever in 2000 years of history the church history, that the stage is set. Everything is now in place. And I, I have more than just a few candles on my birthday cake, but I expect that it may very well be in my lifetime. And so many Christians do not know these things about the last days. You mentioned understanding the book of Revelation. Which is, which is important. But Iris, we, we will understand the book of Revelation by studying the book of Daniel and studying the book of Psalms and studying the book of Malachi, studying the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We will understand Revelation, the book of Revelations, by studying what Paul had to say and Peter had to say. If you don't understand what Jesus, the Old Testament, and the early church taught and believed about the last days, you will never be able to understand the, the book of Revelation. So what we're trying to do is not teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter out of the book of Revelation. We are trying to look at the, the whole picture and bring all the pieces of the puzzle together. So that's what we're, we're doing. We, we started, I guess, last time we were together, a study, well, we've already laid the foundation. I think it's clear to everybody that will objectively look at the scripture that there will be a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. The church is not mentioned in the book of Revelation between Revelation chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 19. Why is it not mentioned for 16 chapters in the book of Revelation? The answer is simple. We're not there. We're not a part of 16 chapters of, of Revelation because we were taken out in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump 
as Jesus said, two men would be sleeping in a bed, one would be taken, one would be left. Two men would be at a field working, one would be taken, one would be left. Two women would be working together in an instant of time. One would be taken, the other one would be left. Paul talked about being caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And when that happens, that is the thing that starts the clock of everything that is going to unfold, the coming of the Antichrist, the, the peace treaty with Israel, world peace, calamity, world war, starvation, earthquakes, all these horrific things that the world has never seen ever, 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 ever. Has, they ever, has there ever been a time like that? But we're not going to be here for that. Why? Because every person that loves Jesus, loves him. I didn't say knows about him. I said loves him and serves him and follows him will be caught up together with him in the clouds to forever be with the Lord. And so we're going to continue our study today of what is the church going to be doing in heaven while all hell is breaking out on the earth. What will we be doing in heaven while all hell is breaking out on the earth? And so last week, we began looking together at two great events after we arrive in heaven. Now, I personally believe that the first one is not going to happen for probably for several years, probably more toward the middle of the tribulation on earth, because it's going to take that long for all of us to recover from the rapture. Can you imagine people that have been sick all their lives, people that have been living in abject poverty, suddenly in a moment of time, winding up in heaven with Jesus, with friends and relatives that they've never that they've not seen that that preceded them in death. What's it going to be like? What's it going to be like for a woman who had an abortion while she was on earth to meet her child in heaven? What will it be like for a woman that had a miscarriage on earth to get to heaven and discover? My baby is here, and the baby I grieved over all of my life. You see, I mean, can you? I can't get my head around what all of this is going to be like, but it is going to be the most glorious, amazing time, indescribable, indescribable. But I think when we finally all arrive there, and we've been with Jesus, and We've been with each other and we're enjoying these resurrected bodies that are now healed and whole and well and, and we get settled in. There are going to come two great magnificent events. And we're going to continue our study of the first one of those today, which is called the judgment seat of Christ. It is also called the BEMA, B-E-M-A, judgment seat of Christ. Let me give you a couple of scriptures today that, that where Paul talked about. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's begin with verse 9, where Paul wrote, and he said, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, Jesus. Verse 10 says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the terror or the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I, and I trust are well known in your conscience. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he said, we're to live our lives here in the fear of the Lord because we must recognize that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, 
your audience extends all around the world. And we don't know where all of you are today, but wherever you are on planet Earth listening to this time of sharing, I want for you to hear what I'm about to say. Listen very, very carefully. We will be in heaven preparing to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But this judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment seat that determines whether we get to stay in heaven or whether we're going to get sent to hell. No, it is not going to be a judgment seat of guilt, condemnation, punishment, harshness, anger of God, none of that. No, no, no. What Paul was talking about here, this, this judgment seat of Jesus, and he said we will all stand before that judgment seat, is called the Bema, B-E-M-A, which is a Greek word, and it represents, where they got that word, the same word in the Bible was the same word that came out of, of, of Greek history when they had the Olympics, the first Olympics, all of that originated in Greece. And there was a, there was a large bar there where the judges sat at the, at the judgment bar, the judgment seat. It was called the Bema. And the athletes that competed in the Olympics, once the competition was over, they stood before the judges at the Bema and the judges evaluated their Olympic performance and gave out the medals, the gold, the silver, the bronze medals to the athletes that in their judgment had won the competition. So the judgment seat of Jesus is going to be much that same. That's what Paul was talking about. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You see, Paul, Paul taught on these things often. And those who were in Paul's meetings and heard his teachings heard him teach these things. Not all of it was written in the Bible, but they were obviously very, very familiar with the teaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's begin with verse 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, where Paul said, Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he that waters, but God gives the increase. Now he who plants and who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. What is Paul talking about there? He is saying anything we've ever done for Jesus is going to be rewarded. He said that Paul worked, Apollos worked, ministers of the gospel have labored, Paul plants, Apollos waters, but it's God that does the work. But Paul is referring here that on that great day, everyone that participated will have a reward for their labor. Now, let's keep going. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another builds upon it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, look at this, everyone. With gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, verse 13 says, each one's work will become clear for the day. What day? That day, which is the judgment seat of Jesus, the Bema, 
judgment seat of Christ, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he is built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, in other words, if, if a person's life on the earth and what they did for the Lord was really for Jesus, it will be gold, silver, precious stones. But if it was for the flesh, if it was for money, if it was for popularity, fame, to please people, well, that is wood, hay, and straw. And Paul said, if anyone's work which he had built on endures, it will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, that one will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. So Paul is talking about this this judgment seat will be a time of, of, of reward for those who have been faithful, and it will be a time of burning up and destruction of everything that we did here on the earth that was done for any other reason other than Jesus. Now, we can also reference Romans 14.10 that deals John, with this. John, before you Ro go, just backtrack on that last bit that you said for me. I lost the, a bit of the signal there. Okay. Uh, just a couple the, of sentences. Okay. The work that we do here on the earth that is done for Jesus, Yeah. that we build our lives, we build what we do, we live our lives. Everything we do here for him is like gold, silver, and precious stones yeah. when we stand before him. And all of that is going to be rewarded for eternity. Everything that we do conversely here on the earth that is for other reasons. You see, you see, let me give an illustration. A pastor that works his whole life to build his ministry, to bring in people, to build a great church with, with a great building, a great program, lots of people, lots of money, TV cameras. But he didn't do it for Jesus. He didn't do it that people be saved that people be born again, that people go to heaven. He built a great church, and I use church in parenthesis because that's not a church that Jesus builds. He just built a great organization for the purpose of money, fame, power, all these other things. That man will go to heaven if he loves Jesus, but he'll stand there on that day and everything he did in the name of Jesus on the earth, it'll all be burned up. Now he'll go to, he'll stay in heaven, but he will live there for eternity without rewards. Okay. No, I understand that. But yeah, I didn't know that before. Yes. Yeah. That, that's so, made a lot of Christians think that that is it, don't they? They've made it. And I think yeah. that's the point you're putting over there. Yeah. Well, you see, Iris, many Christians just believe that heaven is going to be a communist state, that everybody's just going to be equal. There's no, there's no reward for the one who works hard versus, no, versus the one that just barely gets by. Everybody's just there and everybody. And you see, we've contributed that to that by this emphasis in the church of of, of just the grace, hyper grace, live however you want to live on the earth. You're still saved. Don't, wa don't worry about integrity. Don't worry about honesty. Don't worry about discipleship. You know, Jesus died for all of your past sins, your present sins, and all those sins you've got planned and looking forward to next weekend. That's a lie right out of the pit of hell. Yeah. 
Yeah. It is nowhere in the Bible, just the opposite. Yeah. But the reality is when we live our lives for Jesus here on the earth, we are going to be surprised at the reward that's going to come. I want to take everyone listening in today over to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, comes right before the book of Matthew. And the Old Testament prophet Malachi was talking about this truth. When he said in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Who are those that fear the Lord? Remember, Paul was just talking about people having a fear of the Lord in Corinthians. Mm -hmm. Malachi is talking about those who fear the Lord. What are the Who are the people that fear the Lord? They're the people that honor the Lord and reverence the Lord. And so Malachi says, then those who feared the Lord or reverenced and honored the Lord by living for the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And look at this, a book of remembrance was written before him. Wow. A book of remembrance was written before him. A couple of days ago, I was going through some of my materials. I didn't even remember that I had it, but I found a notebook that was a diary of my first trip to India, wow. the first crusade I ever preached in India. I had written a diary on the plane coming home of everything that had happened on that trip. I did not know when I wrote that, that would be the first of 19 trips to India to preach the gospel to literally millions there. But I found that book. I had totally forgotten about so much that was in that book. But heaven had not forgotten. Because Iris, there's a book in heaven for you. There's a book in heaven for me. There's a book in heaven for all of your listeners that the Malachi says, a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. Verse 17 says, they shall be mine, says the Lord. And on the day that I make them my jewels, <laughs> what are jewels? Gold, silver, precious stones. Mm -hmm. um, you see, Malachi's writing about something he didn't know about. He just wrote it. Yeah. But he said, on the day that I make them my jewels, I will spare them. Spares them from what? The tribulation. God's pouring out the wrath of the lamb and the wrath of God on the earth for rebellion and lawlessness. But he took out his people out of the earth. Glory to God. That's us. We're in heaven. He's releasing wrath on the earth with the Antichrist and all the craziness that will go on here. At the same time, he's got you and I and our audience in heaven before him with all those books of remembrance that were written over our lives. And he's rewarding us and taking our works done for Jesus, not for ourselves, but for Jesus here and making them his jewels, he said, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked. You see, there's that, that whole truth about a pre-tribulation rapture, how God has always separated the righteous from the wicked and dealt with them differently. While he is while he is, is, is releasing judgment on the wicked, he's rewarding the righteous. Now I'm getting excited. Yeah. Because I believe all of these things are, 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 are imminent. I, I believe that book of, of remembrance. You see, there's a book of remembrance written for everybody because we won't read it today but your listeners can go and look it up. It's in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Yeah. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. 
It is the great white throne judgment at the very end of time when every person that was not saved will stand before the great white throne judgment of God. Now, what is the great white throne judgment? Just as there will be rewards, different rewards, for those who have served God faithfully while they were on the earth for eternity in heaven, conversely, there will be different punishments for those who will spend eternity in hell. You see, there's going to be a difference in the measure of punishment on a man like Adolf Hitler. Let's use Hitler as an example. Started a world war, slaughtered six million innocent Jewish people only because they were Jews and God's chosen people. There will be a different place in hell for an Adolf Hitler for all of eternity than there will be a very nice man who went to a very dead church every Sunday and sat there and dropped a couple of pounds in the offering when the offering basket went by and thought he could go to church on Sunday morning, drop in a couple of pounds, sit there, but never got saved. You know, he lived a basically moral life, but was never born again. He even went to church. Maybe he just went to church at Christmas and Easter. Same thing with a woman. Well, you know, they didn't go out and, and, you know, didn't build altars to worship demons. They didn't go out and murder people. They didn't go out and steal. They didn't go out and, and rob. They didn't go and live in adultery. They didn't live a lifestyle every day breaking the Ten Commandments. They lived good lives but were never saved. Well, they will go to hell for all of eternity. But the measure of punishment for that one will be different than the measure of punishment for a Adolf Hitler, a Osama bin Laden, these horrific people that resulted, their lives resulted in the deaths of multitudes of people. You see, there will be measures of punishment in hell, but there's going to be conversely Difference in measures of eternal reward for those that honor the Lord. And so there we are. And that is so critically important that God's people understand that faithfulness will be rewarded. Jesus talked about that. And Iris, you jump in if anything's not clear, because I'm not rushing. This is too important. What we're talking about today is going to impact our every day that we live in heaven. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I've always been taught, you know, if you're a Christian, you'll go to heaven or don't matter. You know, just say sorry and it'd be all right. Now I understand that it isn't all right. Well, going to heaven is wonderful. But there's so much more that God is going to do for us when we get to heaven that is tied directly to our faithfulness and how we live for him here on the earth. Now, let me be very careful to say this again. This is not works righteousness. This is not working for God to earn righteousness. No. Our righteousness only comes by the blood of Jesus and the finished work that he did for us on the cross. That is our only, only, only righteousness. Matthew chapter 10, I love Matthew 10 verse 40 to show you just how detailed these books 
that God keeps on our lives are, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 40, he said, whoever receives you receives me, and he who sees me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Look at this. It gets even better. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Iris, this is mind-boggling to me, verse 40, 42, where Jesus said, Whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water yeah. in the name of the disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Do you realize a person that blesses a prophet on that great day will receive the reward that the prophet receives that day? A person that blesses a righteous man will receive the same reward as a righteous man. Whoever gives even so little an act of kindness as giving a cup of cold water. How many people have given me a bottle of water as I've been preaching or teaching all these years 28 countries on five continents, thousands and thousands of, of sermons. People have given me a bottle of water when my voice was about to break out. I need a bottle of water this morning. But I have no one. Thank you, Iris, but I can't reach it. I cannot reach that bottle that you're offering me in England. I am almost 5,000 miles away from you. Sorry. But but thank you for trying. So I believe that just went into your book. You're going to be rewarded uh, for your faithfulness in that. But to do something so simple and insignificant, that is in the book of remembrance that Malachi spoke about. Can you see this? Can Let me tell you a, a true story from Birmingham, England. It is the story of a man years ago by the, well, it wasn't that many years ago, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. It was a man by the name of Mr. Gimelman. And he got saved. He found the Lord. He was born again. But he was horribly shy. He was terribly shy. He could not speak loud. He could not relate to people. He was very quiet, withdrawn, but he loved Jesus and he got saved. And he wanted to do something for Jesus. Now, now, Iris, this is true. This happened. Mr. Gimelman wanted to do things for Jesus, but he could not overcome his shyness. And he told the Lord, he said, Lord, if I could preach, I would preach. Lord, if I could teach, I would teach. If I could sing, I would sing. But Lord, there's nothing that I can do for you. I'm so shy. I'm so backward. No one would listen to me. And Mr. Gimmelman had an idea, and I believe it was from the Holy Spirit. I believe for the most shy person in the world. And Mr. Gimmelman would have made, made that list. I believe the Lord just dropped a little idea in his mind. And what he did, he got all excited about it. And so what he did is he ordered a big box of gospel tracts. And he, he wanted to get out on the streets of Birmingham, England, on Saturday mornings, which was his day off. He's not working on Saturday. He's going to church on Sunday, but he would get out and he just wanted to hand tracts to people, gospel tracts, but he couldn't share the gospel with them, but he could hand them a track. But, it, but that didn't work out so good. 
that did not work out so good. So people just take it, throw it on the sidewalk and keep walking. And so he keeps thinking, how am I going to get tracks into people's hands? Because they see me coming. They, they've already said no before I ever get there. And so then he had another idea. He said, I will hide in the doorways and ambush them. When they come walking down the sidewalk, I will just leap out of the doorway and stuff a track in their pocket and disappear. And so he started doing that. Some people would reach in their pocket, throw it on the ground, keep walking. But every now and then people would, oh, okay, they just keep, it's in the pocket, no, no harm. Well, Mr. Gimmelman faithfully did that virtually every Saturday for decades. But he never prayed a prayer with anybody. He never led anybody to Jesus. But when he would go through a big box of tracks, he'd get another box. But he did that as under the Lord. Well, one day, Mr. Gimmelman got sick. And he went to the doctors and the doctors said, you have an aggressive advanced stage of cancer. And you only have probably just a few weeks to live. Get your affairs in order. There's nothing we can do to help you. And so he knew that he was saved. He knew he was going to go to heaven. But he got in a great sense of, of despair and depression about it because he knew he was going to go to heaven, but he said, when I get to heaven, I have nothing to give to Jesus. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and I've tried, but I have nothing that I can point to that I ever did for Jesus. And his children tried to cheer him up and say, but you've been so far, I know, but I never did anything for Jesus. And now I'm going to heaven and I have nothing to give to him. Well, they, they couldn't seem to help him at all. Well, his granddaughter and her husband were on a business trip to Australia. And while they were there, it was a Sunday. And so they went to this huge church in the city where they were visiting. And the pastor of the church was preaching to thousands of people in this massive church, plus the television audience that was watching at home. And so right in the middle of his sermon, for no, it had nothing to do with what he was preaching, he goes off on this story about how he had gotten saved. He said, I was an atheist, a young student in Birmingham, England, studying to become an engineer. And I'd been out all night partying on a Friday night. And I woke up at a friend's house sometime on Saturday. And I was all hung over from all the booze and the party. And I was walking down the street. And some crazy man jumped out of a storefront and stuffed a track in my pocket. He said, I, I just went on home and went to sleep. But he said, the next day I was changing clothes. I found that. I read it. I thought this is sheer foolishness and throw it aside. But he said, several hours later, I came back and read it again. And then I read it again. And he said, I read it for several days. And I knelt down in my dorm room at a, at a university somewhere in the Birmingham area as an atheist and asked Jesus into my heart. He said, I got a Bible, started studying it, and, and God became real. I forgot about engineering, felt the call of God on my life, went to Bible school, came back to Australia, and here I am today in the ministry, ministering to thousands. Well, the granddaughter was almost hysterical, trying to get to this pastor when the meeting was over. She said, Pastor, 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 that was my grandfather. What? My grandfather, Birmingham, England. He was the guy that put, and this pastor said, where is he? He's in the hospital dying. And he, he said, 
I've got to get to Birmingham, England. The pastor in Australia gets on a plane, comes to England to go to Mr. Gimmelman's bedside and say, I was in Birmingham. You stuffed a track in my pocket. And here's what God has done with my life all these many years. Thank you, sir, for that. Well, that blessed Mr. Gimmelman. But that wasn't the end of the story. That was not the end of the story. In the weeks that followed, God in his sovereignty brought 16 more people to Mr. Gimmelman's bedside in the same way. They were pastors, evangelists, missionaries, Bible school teachers, Christian businessmen, Christian doctors and barristers and solicitors and government, powerful people that were impacting the whole world that Mr. Gimmelman, the man that was too shy to even share the gospel, had ambushed out of doorways in Birmingham, England, stuffing tracks. Now, Mr. Gimmelman went to heaven with a smile on his face because he realized that God did use him here on the earth. But what Mr. Gimmelman did not know, you see, is on that day that is still coming. Mr. Gimmelman's in heaven, but the judgment seat of Christ has not yet come. One day in the future, glory to God, hallelujah, Jesus. Mr. Gimmelman is going to stand the little shy, backward, afraid to talk to anybody about anything. Mr. Gimmelman is going to stand before the Bema judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the same reward as the pastor in Australia, the same reward as the apostle to Russia, the same reward as the prophet to South Africa, to the same reward to the pastors and teachers and evangelists and the little man that never could say a word to anyone is going to receive the same reward of all the lives that God used him to touch. Can you get your head around that, Iris? Wow, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. You see? Yeah. Because that will be that will be the gold and the silver. The person, you, you see, I believe that the 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 custodian that cleans the church building mm -hmm. every week at the judgment seat of Christ is going to have a greater reward than the guy that pastored the church. Yeah. The guy that took out the trash, cleaned the toilets, mopped the bathrooms, vacuumed the carpet, replaced the light bulbs, on that day will have a greater reward than the man that everybody saw and looked to and talked to. Because what he did, he did it in the flesh. That's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. What the man that mopped the bathroom that no one ever saw mm -hmm. is going to be rewarded on that day. Wow. And so, Iris, I can't say I I can't say too hard, too loud to everyone listening. Mm -hmm. We have to live our lives for Jesus because. What we do here is not going to be ignored by heaven. There is a book of remembrance. Jesus talked about it again in Matthew chapter 12. Let me look over there. Where, where, where Jesus is talking about even the words of our mouths, he said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. But an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. 
But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, look at that. They will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. You see, you see a, a man or a woman who spends their life on the word in the world speaking blessing to people, encouragement to people, life to people, peace to people. On that day, they're going to be rewarded for even the words that came out of their heart, out of their mouth, that they were a blessing. Yeah. By the same token, people that spent their lives on the earth criticizing, condemning, judging, gossiping. Jesus said, Jesus said, if we believe all the red ink in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are Jesus's words, Jesus said on that day, every idle word that we've spent in gossip, criticism, judgment. That's the reason Jesus said, with the measure you judge others, you're going to be judged by that same measure. You remember the story, I think it was over in Mark, where the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman taken in adultery to Jesus? Yeah. And they said, Jesus, this woman, we in, in the very act, committing adultery, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Now, Moses said she should be stoned. Yeah. So what do you say? And so Jesus said, oh, oh, okay, excuse me. He gets down, he starts writing in the dirt with his finger. Now, we don't know what he was writing. But I, I have a guess that what he was writing were all of their names dates, places, thoughts, lustful looks, actions, words. Why? He was just writing in the dirt everything that was write, written in the book. And then he looked at all the crowd that were there ready to stone her and said, which of you has never done anything wrong? throw the rock, throw the first rock at her. And they all took off. You see, we're going to be judged by the, if we judge other people. Well, then, you know, on that day, the Lord's going to open up the books yeah. and we're going to have to, we're going to have to uh, explain to him why we spent our lives judging all those other people when we were doing the exact same thing. That's what Jesus was referring to. He said, why do you condemn a person for the speck that is in somebody else's eye, but you ignore the beam or the log that is in your own eye? Yeah. You see, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that is going to be missed. I, a man that had a amazing impact upon my life was the great evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. And Reinhard Bonnke told the story of when he was in his 20s, he and his wife Annie left Germany to go to Africa as missionaries. And he said, when we got to Africa, he said, we'd only been there a few days he said, an old, old missionary came to me. And he said, son, when I came here, I was just like you. He said, I was young. My wife was young. God had called us here. We had come here full of fire, full of faith. We were going to see Africa turned upside down by the power of God. He said, son, I have been in this nation, I've been in this continent now for, for 50 years, 50 years. He said, at the end of 50 years of faithful service here, he said, I have nothing to point to. 
He said, I've buried my children that have died of disease in this land. He said, I buried my wife in this land. He said, my wife never had nice china, never had crystal, never had lovely silver, never had a nice dining room and a, a beautiful table and a cloth and never had nice things to entertain, never had nice furniture. She lived with me here in this God-forsaken place. For 50 years, she died. I buried her here. And he said, son, I'm getting ready to leave to go back to, to my nation. I think it was Scotland. And wait to die. And he said, You're, you've, God sent you here to replace me. But he said, son, if God ever does anything in this continent in your lifetime, please remember me and my wife and my friends that came here and we never saw anything. But he said, young man, 50 years from now, if you wind up like me, and you never see anything for your life's work in this place. And God will send another young man to take your place. Please tell him about what you did. And tell him about me and my wife and my friends. So that if God ever does anything. Reinhard Bonnke said, every time I stand on a platform. And look at hundreds of thousands of people, even millions of people. Bonke saw 80 million salvations documented with decision cards before he went to heaven. He said, every time I stand on a platform to preach to the multitudes, I thank God for the old man and his wife. And the other missionaries that went to Africa and plowed the ground for all of those many years. Because had they not gone first, I would have never seen. The young man that has now carries the mantle of Bonke is a young man by the name of Evangelist Daniel Kalinda. Yeah. I have known Daniel since he was in his 20s. I just had lunch with him two weeks ago. Daniel had told me this story years ago, how before Pastor Bonke left the earth, he had taken Daniel to a cemetery in Nigeria. It was known as the Missionary Cemetery. And out here on this field were little small metal crosses, just little rusty, small metal crosses marking the spot where missionaries had been buried. And on every one of those crosses, there was a number, some three, five, eight, 10, 20, 30, 50, whatever. An evangelist bonky told young evangelist Daniel. He said, son, those are the missionaries. You see that number? That's the number of days, not years. But that's the number of days that they survived here before they died. Most of the missionaries that went to Africa from England and, and Scotland and, and other nations Two centuries ago, most of them told their families goodbye in the full knowledge they would probably never see them again. Many of them carried with them caskets. They took their caskets with them on the sailing ship to go to the mission field, knowing that when their time came, whether it was days or weeks or months or years, that they would at least have a wooden box to put their dead body in to be buried. And Daniel told me, I saw this field with these little metal crosses, you see. And what those 
what those visionaries that gave their life, what the old man and his wife that never saw anything 50 years ago, Evangelist Daniel told me two weeks ago over lunch, he said, John, we've seen 102,000 decision cards in the last 30 days. Wow. 102,000 decision cards in the last 30 days in the African nation of Tanzania. In the midst of a global pan COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. the missionary that was buried out in the field, with it got nothing but a little metal, a little metal cross. On that great day, Iris, and I've got to close, mm -hmm. will receive the same exact reward as. The Balkis, the Kalendas, these evangelists that are now going and all that God is doing, they will share in all of those same rewards. The little, the little grandmother that gave five pounds in the offering to help the evangelist go evangelize. The little grandfather that gave five pounds in the offering that helped the gospel go forth in the earth. The person listening in your audience today that helps you, Iris, to do what you're doing. The person that would help you financially to do what you're doing right now helps the the radio ministry right now that you're listening, wherever you are, whether you're in South America, Australia, Europe, Africa, wherever you are today, you're listening to this. Anything you can do to help support Iris and the people that are making it possible for you to listen to this teaching today, you need to bless them and help them, pray for them, support them financially, because on that day, on that day, on that day of the Bema Judgment Seat, every person that has played a role, whether it was, was to, to give, to pray. You know, the great Hebrides revival in the Hebrides Islands of Scotland in 1949, where the glory of God came and Multitudes of people were saved. The atmosphere of the Hebrides Islands was literally charged with the presence of God. And people either got saved or they packed up their belongings and moved out of the Hebrides but to get away from it. Did you know that the two people that, that historians point to that brought that great revival were Peggy and Christine Smith? Two elderly women, sisters, one was totally disabled with arthritis, the other one was legally blind, but they were intercessors. And they prayed day and night, day and night for months for God to visit the Hebrides. And, and, and Peggy and Christine, elderly women, were the ones that prayed that revival on that day the judgment seat of Christ, when rewards are given out, you see, an old blind woman and an old arthritic woman that prayed and prayed and prayed until God answered in the Hebrides revival will receive the same eternal reward because they prayed. Others gave. Others went. It's the Duncan Campbells, the famous preacher that everybody looked to, but there would have been no Duncan Campbell had there not been a Peggy and Christine Smith yeah. that prayed it in. Whatever we do for Jesus, nothing is being ignored. It's all in the book, 
And on that soon coming day, the books are going to be open. Glory to God. And people are going to be rewarded for all of eternity. Wow, that's taken my breath away. <laughs> that is amazing. It's amazing when we start on this, what is that, you know, it's actually uncovering such a lot. And it's now dovetailing together and beginning to make equal sense. Yes. It's not yeah. a standalone book at all. It, I don't think anything in the Bible is standalone. It's all interlinked. If you don't read it all, you don't understand any of it. That's right. That's right. Well, there we are, folks. I think we're going to have to leave it there today. What do you say, John? Well, it goes by so quickly. I wish I had had time today to get into what I was going to teach. Here <laughs> about You've had those notes for weeks now. Well, I had to find notes last week, and we didn't get done last week. I did it all again today. And we, we, but we'll just keep it around another week and we'll see everyone again next week. God bless you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been really a joy to have you and we will see you again. And I'm just going to warn everybody out there, we will be back. We absolutely will be back. So good, God bless everybody and talk to you soon. <laughs>